Polaris, the North Star. The star that looms directly above the North Pole has been represented over history as a steadfast beacon, guiding explorers to new lands. For slaves escaping from the South in the 19th century, the North Star was an ever-present symbol in their quest toward freedom. Shakespeare also invokes the North Star as a symbol of constancy. In the play Julius Caesar, Caesar demonstrates his unwillingness to budge on an issue by comparing himself to the North Star. I could be well moved if I were as you. If I could pray to move, prayers would move me. But I am as constant as the Northern Star, of whose true fixed and resting quality there is no fellow in the firmament. Shakespeare's message is that humans are fickle, but stars are constant. Shakespeare wrote these lines without the aid of current technology. But if he could have looked at the sky with our modern telescopes, he would see that the light from Polaris is steadily varying. It turns out that Polaris is one of a class of stars known as Cepheid variables. Cepheid variables steadily pulse, much like the human heart. Because of a thermodynamic quirk, these stars vary in temperature and size to grow bright, then dim. In the early 20th century, while measuring star brightnesses at the Harvard College Observatory, Henrietta Leavitt made a vital discovery that turned these pulsating stars into a yardstick for the universe. She observed that the steady cycles of brightening and dimming in Cepheid variables were longest for the stars that exhibited the maximum peak brightness. With her observations, Levitt created a mathematical rule that relates the length of the pulsation period of the star to its luminosity, the amount of energy it emits per second. Henrietta Levitt's discovery of this period-luminosity relationship transformed our understanding of the scale of the universe. Astronomer Lynn Matthews from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Haystack Observatory explains. In general, it's very difficult to tell how far away objects in space are. The further away a star is, the dimmer it appears to us, but typically we cannot tell the difference between a bright star that is very distant and a dimmer star that is closer by because they appear to have the same brightness. However, thanks to Levitt's discovery, with Cepheids, just by observing their period and apparent brightness, we can determine the distance to the star. Once we know the distance to one star, this helps us to find the distance to other objects near it. Ever since Levitt's 1912 discovery, Cepheid variables have been a critical tool in cosmology. They're the first step in a ladder that measures the scale of the whole universe. But it turns out that even after a century of study, these stars still pose some mysteries for astronomers. One puzzle concerns the stellar mass of Cepheid variables. Using different ways to calculate the mass of these stars, scientists persistently get different answers. Astronomers, including Nancy Evans from the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, have long suspected that this is a sign that Cepheids are losing mass over time. In the 1960s, computers were first brought to bear on astrophysical questions, and one of the big areas was computing the life history of a star. At the same time, calculations modeled Cepheid pulsation, but the two models didn't match. One way out of this problem is that the pulsations that cause Cepheids to vary in brightness may also cause them to slowly lose mass. However, observationally, we didn't have much evidence for this. 
Massimo Marengo, an astronomer from Iowa State University, explains why observing mass loss from Cepheids has been so challenging. It has been difficult to prove that Cepheids are losing mass because they live fast and they're young. They don't have much time to move away from the place where they were born, which is typically a very crowded region full of other stars and nebula. This makes searching for the signature of mass loss more difficult. We've only recently developed some new tools for tackling this problem. These tools include telescopes that allow astronomers to study Cepheids across the entire electromagnetic spectrum. This has allowed them to see Cepheids, literally, in a whole new light. Dr. Marengo and his colleagues observed a sample of Cepheids using NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope. This Earth-orbiting telescope can collect the infrared light emitted from the dust around stars. Data from the infrared light observations led to a surprising discovery around one of the most famous and well-studied Cepheid variables, Delta Cephei. When we looked at Delta Cephei with Spitzer, we saw for the first time a conical structure ahead of the star. This is something that astronomers call an interstellar bow shock. This is analogous to what one sees when a speedboat pushes up water in front and leaves a long wake behind. The only way a star can form a bow shock is if it is zooming through space, while at the same time it is throwing off matter. We already knew that Delta Cephei was speeding through space, so we infer that it must be losing mass. While the dust seen by Spitzer was telling, most of the matter shed by any mass-losing star, including a Cepheid, is expected to be hydrogen gas. If this gas has the right density and temperature, it will emit radio light at a wavelength of 21 centimeters. To search for this emission, astronomer Lynn Matthews led a program to observe Delta Cephei with the Very Large Array radio telescope in New Mexico. Our data from the Very Large Array spectacularly confirm what we suspected from Spitzer. We found a gas cloud more than three light years across surrounding the position of Delta Cephei. This cloud has a head-tail structure, rather like a comet. We believe this material originates from a massive wind flowing from the star. This wind is pushing against the interstellar medium as the star travels through space, leaving a long wake of debris behind it. From their radio measurements, Dr. Matthews and her collaborators were able to measure the amount of matter surrounding Delta Cephei and derive the rate and speed at which the material flows from the star. The consequence is that Delta Cephei has already shrunk by a few percent since it started its life as a Cepheid variable. If Cepheid variable stars are losing mass, does this mean that the brightness, and therefore the distance of these stars, is not as reliable as we previously thought? Will we have to revise our entire scale of the universe? Fortunately, because it is a relatively small effect, the confirmation of mass loss from surface does not mean that our previous measurement of the size and scale of the universe are all wrong. The good news is that the better we understand the stars themselves, the more accurate our cosmic yardstick becomes. We also have to remember that finding one Cepheid that is losing mass is not enough. 
Before we can declare that all Cepheids are losing mass, we need to observe a wider range of Cepheids using telescopes like the Very Large Array. I think it will come as a big surprise to a lot of people if observing Cepheids at radio wavelengths turns out to hold one of the keys to solving the Cepheid mass discrepancy. This is an example of how looking at familiar objects in new ways, even objects people have been studying for over a hundred years, can reveal a whole new picture.